You're listening to A Catholic Bible Study on the Gospel of Matthew with Scripture scholars Dr. Tim Gray and Dr. Michael Barber. This podcast is produced by the Augustine Institute, an apostolate helping Catholics understand, live, and share their faith. Welcome to Form Now. I'm Tim Gray, president of the Augustine Institute, and joining me is Dr. Michael Barber, who is a professor of scripture here at the Augustine Institute. And we're continuing our Bible study on the Gospel of Matthew. So open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. So we want to, there's a lot in chapter 7, Matt, uh, Michael, that we could to cover here. And uh, so let's let's dive in because I really I love the ending of Matthew seven and there's so right. many, so, so many I don't want to get too say. we, we got to go more quickly I think through the first half of chapter seven. I was going to say the first three words of chapter seven are the most important. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, so I, don't judge me by my by my my pattern and schedule here. Oh, the first words are judge not lest you be judged. Um, All right, so uh, Jesus is explaining here a very important principle. And that is, as he goes on to say, um, by the judgment, which you judge, you shall be judged. And so Jesus is telling us that we really have to reserve judgment on other people, right? We, we cannot uh, know what's going on in another person's heart. And then Jesus adds a very important principle. He says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but not notice the beam that is in your, in your own eye? Mm. Uh, or will you say, uh, or, or how will you say to your brother, let me cast out the speck from your eye and behold, the beam is <laughs> in your own eye. It's a really wow. funny image, right? Yeah. Like the speck and you got this yeah. big beam coming out of your <laughs> eye, eye socket. And the amazing thing here that's important is you can't recognize your own sin. Jesus is teaching yeah. us a very important lesson here. Yeah, because our sin is so fundamental to our own self, our own way of looking at things. And really at the heart of sin is our own selfishness. That's right. We put ourselves and our own ego at the center of the plot of our own story, and but also the story of the world. And so our self-centeredness looks normally centered to us. That's right. You know, That's we right. We just don't see it. And so Jesus is teaching us something very profound here, and it's something that we'll expand on when we get to Matthew 18, and that is that in order to see clearly, we need other people. <laughs> the implication in all of this is the need for spiritual friendship, the need for the church, right? We can't just go as lone rangers. And Yeah, and one of the big problems, I think, with making a judgment, because only God can ultimately judge because he knows the circumstances, but it, it destroys charity, and um, once we make a judgment, you are bad, you are this. That's right. We don't treat that person in the Imago Dei. We don't treat them uh, with dignity, typically, and we don't certainly treat them with charity. So, right. Um, and then I, I like verse 7, because this is one of Augustine's favorite lines. He mm-hmm. weaves it throughout the confessions. He begins it early on in the confessions. But it, it, Jesus teaches about prayer here. And, you know, once he teaches us not to judge— then the next thing is we've got to learn how to pray mm-hmm. if we're not going to be judgmental. And he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Uh, it's a beautiful threefold progression here. Mm-hmm. And uh, this idea of asking, more intensive with seeking, and then even more intensive again with knocking. And, uh, you know, we could say so many other things about this passage. I'm, I'm, I'm going to just kind of move along because otherwise I'll, I'll we'll never finish a chapter here, but Jesus has another sort of humorous thing to say. He says, which one is there among you 
if his son asks him for bread, we'll give his give him a stone. Daddy, I'm hungry. Okay, here's a stone. Ah, you know, <laughs> why who would do such a thing? Or if he also asks for a fish, he will give him a serpent. Who would do such a thing? I mean, it's, obviously, no person would be so cruel to their own children. And so Jesus makes the point then that if we know how to give good gifts, how much more does our Father in heaven know how to give us good gifts? And then Jesus concludes, therefore, what you would wish that people should do to you, do so also to them for this is the law and the prophets. All the law, all the prophets, and Jesus is going to talk about this later on in the gospel as well. All the law and prophets are fulfilled in the commandment to love. Right. This is the silver rule. This is <laughs> <laughs> the golden rule. Right. And uh in other words, you know, we in the tradition we call this the golden rule because this is really the heart of, of Jesus' teaching. We've been going through now a couple of chapters of the Sermon on the Mount with Jesus right. giving imparting a lot of teaching. And here as a master teacher, as he's getting towards the end, he gives a summary uh, saying mm-hmm. that kind of encapsulates and uh the 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 just of what he wants us to understand and learn. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, St. Paul will expand on this as well in his letter to the Romans when he says, uh, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And he says, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Mm. It's a beautiful exposition of that. Yeah. It's, so it's very clear. And then Jesus goes on to explain that there are two gates. He says, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and easy is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter it for narrow is the gate and hard the way that leads to life. And few are those who find it. Now, this is a sobering saying. Jesus is telling us that the way that leads to life are found is found only by a few. And the way that leads to destruction is wide. It's easy. It's, you know, it's, it's quite simple to, to go to hell. It's going to take a lot more focus. It's going to take a lot more um, discipline in order to walk the way to life. I think here, Jesus is, uh, we talked at the beginning here on the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus goes up on a mountain and opens his mouth and teaches mm. just like Moses. And this is after he prays and fasts for 40 days. Right. Well, at the end of Moses's great teaching in the book of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15 and following, Moses kind of sums up his teaching for the Israelites by saying, I've set before you life and death. That's right. And because Moses is pro-life, he says, choose life. <laughs> All right. So Moses says, choose life. And here Jesus is is evoking this mosaic choice of life versus death. And he uses two different gates now to, to embody that mm-hmm. idea that there's two ways you can go from here. Uh, you can enter the narrow gate, which is the way that leads to, as he says, life. And I think he's evoking that very term of what the, and we remember we started with the blessings, the Beatitudes. Mm-hmm. And of course, Deuteronomy promises blessings that will give you life and fullness of life. And here Jesus is showing that if you follow the way of the Beatitudes, which is the blessings, you're going to end up with life. But you're going to have to go against the grain, against the world. The world takes the wide path. Mm-hmm. Those who follow Christ have to take the narrow way. 
That's right. And some people, by the way, have uh, misinterpreted this passage and said, well, Jesus is talking about this narrow gate, you know, that was in the Holy Land. No, that's that's not what's going on here. The way that leads to life, the life that Jesus is talking about is nothing less than eternal life. And it's really important for us to reflect on that, and we don't have a lot of time to do that now, but in your time of prayer after this Bible study, you might reflect on what does it mean that what God intends for us is life. Right. It's, it's, it's sin that leads us to death. Death is the result of us going against God's design for our life. That's, that's real significant, I think. Mm. But anyway, moving on, Jesus says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inside they are ravenous wolves. By their fruits you shall know them are grapes gathered from thorns or figs from thistles. Now, here Jesus is explaining that you can know the works of the wolves. Now, we, we don't pass judgment on other people. We don't know what's going on in other people's hearts, but we can tell if, if a leader is truly a good shepherd or if they're a wolf, if they're ultimately going to lead us to death and destruction by looking at their fruits. And so Jesus says, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces evil fruit. Mm. And then he goes on to say, every tree that does not produce good fruit is cut down and cast into the fire. And here we have a very strong image of, of perdition, the imagery of, of hell, right? And it's it, here we, again, we have this theme of judgment. And it, Jesus was preparing us with this with the idea in verse 13 of the narrow versus the wide way, mm-hmm. which Moses is, you know, at the end of Deuteronomy and Deuteronomy 30 is warning them about. How, what how, what they do mm-hmm. with this teaching, mm-hmm. and uh, but you recognize them by their fruits. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. right. Good fruit that means there's a good heart. Bad fruit, not such so not so good. Right. And we want to be clear that what Jesus is saying is it's not the case that we recognize who's holy and who's not by their success. Right. That that's not that's the okay. same thing. Jesus is. That's not the same thing Jesus is talking about here. We just celebrated the feast of uh, St. Peter Chanel. And, of course, St. Peter Chanel in his lifetime did not see great fruit from his labors. It came later after his martyrdom. Nonetheless, we we know, as St. Mother Teresa says, God doesn't call us to be successful. He calls us to be faithful. All right. All right. And then we go on. And this is, frankly, one of my favorite lines in the entire gospel. And I find it to be the most challenging, the most scary, and also in some ways the most illuminating. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Now, that's really significant because in the Greek version of the Old Testament, that double use of Lord, Lord is only applied to the God of Israel. So, Jesus is very clearly identifying himself as not just the Messiah, right, but as God with us, as Emmanuel. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, on the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you Depart from me, evildoers. What is the crucial criterion here of judgment? It's not simply doing works in Jesus's name. It's knowing him, right? Mm -hmm. Entering into a 
true relationship with Christ. And I always like to point out to students, there's no relationship possible without prayer. There's no relationship possible with anyone in our lives if we aren't listening to the other person. This is what prayer really needs to be. Prayer needs to be about not just talking to the Lord, God, give me this, God bless that, God bless this, whatever. It needs to be more than that. It needs to be prayerful reflection. And this is why we do what we do. Uh, this is why Bible study is just so essential, right? When we read the Bible and the liturgy, what do we hear? The word of the Lord, and we say thanks be to God, because we recognize the Bible isn't just what God said, it's what God says. The Lord is speaking to us in sacred scripture. We can come to know him, and we can come to hear him speaking to us if we're willing to to make the time, if we're willing to cooperate with the grace he wants to give us. And it echoes, Mike, what you said with Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus gives us the Our Father. Yeah. And he teaches us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus teaches us at the heart of the prayer of our Lord to pray that we may seek that the Father's will would be done. Mm. And that's really, I think, a fundamental point of Christian practice and belief mm -hmm. is if you're a Christian, you have to pursue the will of the Father and accept the will of the Father. That's so important. One of the things, Michael, I, I want to shout out here for is and the, the word enter. We saw it in verse 13, enter by the narrow gate. And mm -hmm. again here, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the mm -hmm. kingdom of heaven. And, you know, entering is a really important term used by Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. Throughout the book of Deuteronomy, you have, when you go to the good land, the land I'm giving you as an inheritance, and you enter. And, or the, later on, it says, when you enter the land that I am giving you. So constantly, the expectation is Moses is teaching the word of God at Sinai and in the desert to Israel, is he's preparing them for entering the promised land. Mm -hmm. So the whole goal of the journey of the Exodus is to enter the promised land. And here, Jesus is talking about entering as the goal of all of his teaching and pursuing the will of the Father, that we may enter mm -hmm. the kingdom of heaven. Mm -hmm. So, Michael, why don't you talk about it, what's Jesus doing by using the language that Moses used for entering the promised land and now using this for the kingdom of heaven? Right. So, obviously, the goal of the Christian life isn't simply earthly. It's not just about earthly land. It's about entering into the kingdom itself. And what is that kingdom? Well, if you look at the writings of Thomas Aquinas, you look at the writings of other saints, you'll see different definitions of the kingdom. But the way I like to explain it is the kingdom is that realm in which all things are made subject to God's rule in Christ, right? And where is that especially found? It's in the life of the church, in the liturgy of the church, where in especially the Eucharistic celebration, we are making an offering of ourselves to the Lord. But the kingdom here is... It, 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 it certainly refers to an otherworldly realm, heaven, but we recognize in the Gospel of Matthew that kingdom that is in heaven is made present on earth through the ministry of the church. And we're going to see this in greater detail in Matthew 13 when we look mm -hmm. at the parables. Mm -hmm. Something I'd like to highlight here, too, is that in this parable, we see Jesus 
prophesy. He's, he's making an announcement about the future that there will be those who do not enter into the kingdom of heaven. This is not a hypothetical. This is not a possibility. Jesus is announcing to us that on the last day, there will be people who say, Lord, we did all these mighty works and they won't enter into the kingdom. This is a terrifying prospect. It's this, it's this verse that keeps me up at night, right? I don't want to be those people who focus on external works focus on all the the deeds that you try to do. Lord, you know, I I helped up my church. I did a Bible study on the Gospel of Matthew. You know, I, I want to make sure that I'm those I'm among those who know the Lord. Because without that, surely we will be excluded from the kingdom. I I think that's so important, Michael, and I know you're evoking this biblical and especially Hebraic in the mm-hmm. throughout the Old Testament, this idea of knowing yeah. is uh Yada, you know, Adam knows Eve she conceives. That's a deep knowing, an intimate knowing. But this idea of knowing for the Hebrew is the idea of covenant knowing. Mm. It's the knowing of a person in a deep relationship of intimacy. And so this is exactly what God's inviting us to, isn't it? That's right. To have a relationship of intimacy, not just a formal, uh, you know, religious observance. It's a personal, deep relationship. And that's why 17 times mm. in this sermon, he will call God Father. That's right. Yep. The theme of God as Father is prominent throughout the Sermon on the Mount, our identity as God's children. And so, serving the Lord is, of course, important, but it's secondary. These who are excluded on the last day put the primary emphasis on their evangelical works, right? And we are so easily sucked into the temptation that God wants us to be apostles before he wants us to be disciples. Uh, I put that wrong. That God wants us to be, yeah, God wants us, the temptation is to think we're going out to be sent. The apostles are those who are sent. But before they're sent, they're disciples. Before they're sent out, they spend time with Jesus. They live with Jesus. And so Mm -hmm. Satan will always be able to find another project for us to work on. We can't sacrifice our prayer life, the importance of the interior life, for those mm. kinds of apostolic works. Reminds me, Michael, of the, one of my favorite books is uh, Father Dom Chatard's book, yes. The Soul of the Apostolate. And it's a book that you know I know I've had to go back and reread and reread mm. because I can get into a bit of activism. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we Americans can be rather pragmatic. <laughs> and uh, But what we need to be pragmatic most about is a relationship with God. Amen. And that's, that's, and if we have that knowing and intimacy, then we're going to bear fruit. Well, then we're going to love others, our neighbor and others, and we'll, we'll be filled with those good works that Jesus summons us to, to be light at the beginning here in chapter five of Matthew. But it'll come out of being in Christ. Then we can imitate Christ. Yeah, and these are the ones who think that they're going to be saved because of their Status. mighty works, because they cast out demons and they performed miracles. Well, and, I, but those and doing who things in his name, just because they, things, yes. because they know the name of Jesus, that is, they can claim the name Christian, right. that means that they're going to be saved. But it's not just being Christian in name only, right. but in heart. Right. And what's going to happen at the end of the Gospel, Matthew 25, is it's not going to be those who perform the most miracles. Jesus on the last day isn't going to say, how many miracles did you work? No, he's going to say, I was hungry and you did not feed me. I was thirsty and you did not give me drink. So it's these, these, these things that are done that seem like small things, small acts of love that are 
most expressive of us knowing the Lord. And if we're not careful, we can forget about that. And this is what Jesus' point is, as we pick up in verse 24, Mm -hmm. it's not just you know, talking the talk, it's going to be about walking the walk with Christ. Mm-hmm. And so we see Jesus saying, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, that's the two, you got to hear it and do, mm-hmm. hear them and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it was built on the rock, right? Um it was founded on the rock. And then we get the next verse. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. Mm-hmm. What a way to end the Sermon on the Mount. Right. And so everyone who hears these words, which words? These words of the <laughs> yeah. sermon, right? So mm-hmm. Jesus explains here that if you hear these words, the words of the Sermon on the Mount, you can be the wise man. And so St. Augustine, St. Thomas Aquinas explain that the Sermon on the Mount is the perfect sermon because it sums up the Christian mm-hmm. life beautifully. Yeah, it does. And, you know, let's, you know, Speaking about the wise versus the foolish, here we have Jesus making a great rabbinic move, right? Mm -hmm. So he's evoking a a theme Mm -hmm. out of the Jewish scriptures. You want to talk about that? Sure. The wise man, if you were to think about a wise man who builds on a house, who builds a house, the person you would immediately think of is Solomon, right? Solomon is the wise man who builds, he builds the temple. And of course, Jesus is throughout the Gospel of Matthew, the new Solomon, he is the son of David. The first verse of the gospel highlights this, the, G- the book of the Genesis of Jesus Christ, the son of David. But what's important is Jesus isn't here identifying himself as the new Solomon, but believers. In other words, we share in the mission of Jesus. We share in his redemptive work, and we can in a sense, be taken up into his ministry as the wise man by ordering our lives appropriately. Mm. And we'll see Jesus make this reference later on, like mm-hmm. in Matthew 11 and Matthew, or especially Matthew 12. 12. Something uh, greater. Something greater than Solomon is here. Mm-hmm. And so he's he's clearly been teasing out this analogy, this echo to Solomon. But also he's playing a role of Moses here too, because, well, actually even in, in the, the wisdom tradition of Israel, what do we mean by that? The book of wisdom, Proverbs, you have this idea of two ways, the way of the fool versus the way of the wise man. Mm-hmm. And so in classic Jewish teaching and in the rabbinics, you would have this idea that, look, here's the wise way to live and here's the foolish way contrasted. And that's rooted in going back to Moses and his idea that there's two ways that Israel can go mm-hmm. with the Torah, the way of blessing, and we saw beatitude here, or the way of woe and cursing, mm-hmm. the way of wisdom, the way of foolishness the way of life, the way of death. So these things are juxtaposed throughout from the Torah and Moses through the wisdom literature of Judaism. And now Jesus is bringing these traditions all together. And he's saying, now it all boils down to how you respond to my word. Mm-hmm. It's really important too, that you have an image of this idea of building a house, a wise man. What kind of house did the wise man build? A temple. And Jesus explains something greater than the temple is here in himself. But 
as Paul will go on explaining his letters, we are all called to be temples of the Holy Spirit. And so we have to think of our own lives in terms of temple building. Are we going to build a temple that is going to stand? Or are we going to build a temple that is going to fall? And there's echoes here with the predictions Jesus makes regarding, I think, the Jerusalem temple as well in the background, as he'll go on to explain the Jerusalem temple is going to fall. Why? Because of the wickedness of the leadership of, you know, of Jerusalem. Yeah. I, th- I think there's an interesting movement here in this chapter where Jesus early on is, you know, invited us to pray in verse seven, where he's like, ask, seek, and then knock, knocking, you're at a door. And then he talks about entering. In a, in a couple of occasions, enter by the narrow gate, That's right. That, right? The narrow way, the narrow door. And then he talks about not everyone will enter the kingdom of heaven who says, Lord, Lord, that just simply claiming Jesus as your Lord isn't going to get you in. You have to submit and do the will of his father, which he taught us to pray so that we could accomplish that. That's so right. if we pray, That's right. God will give us the grace to be able to ask the seek to knock on that narrow door and that, at that narrow gate that we may enter. And then, of course, you have this entering language then leads to house. That's right. And so it really beautifully kind of flows together. And it's easy to look at the sayings of Jesus fragmented. You know, in other words, reading them one saying and then the next saying and the next saying. But we step back and realize he's painting a picture here, isn't Mm -hmm. he? Yep, no question about it. And he's reminding us that the the root of our success or, or what our success in the spiritual life is going to be based on is, again, what? Hearing the words of Jesus, right? And so it's very important for us to study the scriptures, to reflect on their meaning. We don't want to be like the, the, the bad soil in the parable of the sower, right? And basically what happens there is the, the, the seed is cast and then the birds come and gobble it up and that represents the person who hears the word but they don't understand it right Mm. we don't want to be like that person if we want to be able to survive when the storm comes and make make make, you know make Mm. no mistake about it storms Storms are are going to come yeah both scenarios it's not like (laughs) this way there's storms this way there's not storms unfortunately (laughs) there's not a direction that doesn't have storms that's right no either case our house that we build is going to face storms if we want it to stand. If we want it to stand, we have to listen to the words of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And this is why, you know, Tim and I are so devoted to trying to explain the Bible, to teach the Bible. I mean, this is, it's a, it's a glorious job. I'm very grateful for it, but this is what we get to do all day here. The reason we do it is because we understand we have a mandate from, Mm -hmm. from the Lord. You know, one of the things I think of, of course, the rock is going to be an analogy or echo to the temple because, mm-hmm. you know, Solomon in, in, in Chronicles, uh, you know, he, he builds on Mount Moriah on the rock. He builds the, the, the temple. But Certainly all, in Isaiah, the stone, stone is connected yep, to the temple that, throughout, yep, right? Yep. And, but then I think also there's maybe a, an, an extra echo maybe I'm hearing, but David constantly calls God his rock. Mm. You know, in the Psalms, is yeah. his refuge, right? And so you have storms, and the idea of the rock being a refuge that seems to be very Davidic, right? There's no question about it. This image of a house builder, right? Mm-hmm. When God makes His covenant promise to give David a kingdom forever, it's after David is expressed in that day. It's after David has expressed a desire to build a house for the Lord. So the Davidic covenant and house building. 
go side by side or hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Michael, as you said, you know, knowing the word of God is so important for our Christian life. And it's at the heart of our mission here at the Augustine Institute. Mm-hmm. We love to teach scripture. And I've been so edified, you know, a couple of people wrote and said that by watching this Bible study, mm-hmm. Um, they're lifelong Catholics, but they said that we're mm-hmm. embarrassed. They admit we never had a Bible. Mm-hmm. And then we went, we started watching your Matthew study and we went out and, and, and got Bibles. Praise God. And so that, that, that story just, uh, just made us so happy to hear, it made me thrilled, it made my day and week and month. And uh, I love those stories. And so we're so grateful that so many of you are writing to thank us. We're, we're just so grateful that this Bible study can be a blessing to you. And we're deeply grateful for um, all those who support us to make this ministry happen through the mission circle and our, our donors so that we can make this word of God free and available to others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just want to say at the end of this, we have, it says, it says here, and it happened when Jesus had finished these mm-hmm. words, it reminds us, uh, we're going to see this theme throughout the gospel. So after chapter seven, we have this summary statement after Jesus's uh, speech in chapter 10, after his speech in chapter 13, we've been talking about these major sections of discourse in Matthew. And so we see the first kind of close here. Jesus has been on a mountain. He's been teaching. He is the new Moses and all are amazed at his authority. He even goes beyond the scribes. He teaches like no one else has ever taught. And truly that's the case because he is the Lord. Yeah. And that, that phrase that it uses, he, he was teaching them with, as one who had authority and not as their scribes. That word authority, we're going to see in the next chapter in a big way. Because Jesus is going, we're going to see Jesus exercising authority and others recognizing Jesus' authority. So now we're, we're kind of getting our, our hint of where we're going to go next in Matthew chapter eight. So thank you for joining us. And uh, again, thank you to all of those who support us through our Mission Circle partners. Uh, we're grateful for you. We're grateful for all of you. May the Lord bless and keep you. You can watch this Bible study in video format by visiting form.org. Formed is an online Catholic streaming service created by the Augustine Institute and Ignatius Press with award-winning studies and parish programs, inspiring audio content, movies, ebooks, and family-friendly kids programming. To support the mission of the Augustan Institute, please visit missioncircle.org.